Let us pray. Almighty God, it's once again a privilege, Lord God, to open your word, and in this word to find our Savior. For all that you intended to reveal unto man, you've put in your word. God, the secret things belong to you, but the things that are revealed are ours. But we are also keenly aware that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And the natural man cannot receive it. Holy Father, therefore we ask that you will give us a special endowment of the Holy Spirit now. Father, that the seed of your word will find the right soil in our hearts. Father, open our hearts, open our lives to receive from you. God, prepare our minds for action. That we shall not just be hearers, but doers of your word. For hearing, we deceive if we don't convert it into action. Lord, hence we ask you that you would help us by anointing our hearts and preparing our minds. We also pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O God, our Lord and our Redeemer, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to the book of First Peter once again. We come back to the book of First Peter, chapter 1. And we read verses 6 through 9. First Peter chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible, And full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This passage begins with, in this you greatly rejoice. One of the great themes of the Bible is joy. And if you'd notice the songs that we sang, 
contained an element of rejoice in it. Throughout the Bible, we find that the theme of joy has been given much emphasis. The feasts of the Lord were a celebration of joy. The Passover celebration was a celebration of joy. So the Christian is expected to rejoice. Joy is a theme. We are to worship the Lord with joy. We celebrate the goodness of the Lord with joy. Therefore, as we sit with joy, I encourage you that you would put a smile on your face. It looks very bad from here. Because at the end of this passage, we need to find, we need to find theological answers for another great theme of the Bible, which is the righteous suffering. That's the theme that you would find in the Bible. You would find it from the book of Genesis itself. You find Abraham was a righteous man who suffered, who was under trial. Now the suffering could be of different degrees, but let's just, we know the kind of trials that Job went through, an excellent example. We know the trials that Joseph went through. So suffering is another great theme. So in our pilgrim journey, we not only rejoice, the commandment is not just to rejoice, the commandment is also to rejoice in spite or in the midst of suffering. And that's what this passage is about. We've We've learned so much about 1 Peter chapter 1 so far that we are able to understand that the letter was written to elect exiles living in Asia Minor who had been, who are under persecution by Nero. They were under different types of trials. They were under struggles and these were the people unto whom Peter writes and he exhorts them. He encourages them, he builds them up. But in the world, we find that there's a lot of therapy. There's a lot of therapy for struggles. But what we need from the Bible is theology in our struggles. We need to have a right perspective in our struggles. And I'm speaking to someone over here who is going through some kind of a struggle. In fact, the last time I was here, we were mourning... The death of our brother's mother. And this time I'm here, we are mourning the death of a mother-in-law. Death is certain. Even as trials are certain. Man is born to adversity, says Job. So if anyone invited you to the Christian life saying that all is going to be hunky-dory, he sold you a wrong ticket. Even Jesus, out of the mouth of Jesus, came the largest number of references of hell. And the largest references of joy comes in spite of trials. We are living, you and I, if you look at ourselves, we are living in much, much an affluent circumstance. We are living comfortable lives. But there are people right now as we speak seven children in the streets of Calcutta 
have already died in the last one minute. Seven children. There's one missionary who has been shot every hour as we speak. We live in circumstances around us. Whatever be our trial, we may consider it to be large, we may consider it to be small, depending on our own capacity of handling trials, but there are trials. Trials are certain. Therefore, we need to have a perspective on trial, a biblical perspective on trials, if we are, number one, to understand why we go through trials, and number two, to help someone who goes through trial. Karl Marx once said that Christianity is crutch for the helpless. If he were to read First Peter, he would have said that Peter now is talking to people and is saying, don't worry, everything is going to be okay when you get to heaven. Karl Marx would have, say, he would have said, well, that's a beautiful thing. You struggle now and you look for something that does not even exist. How do you relate to a person? How do you talk to a sister who has lost her child? How do you talk to a, a father whose 11-year-old son has got cancer? I don't know if you've heard of uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, Jr. 15, uh, last, last month, his 15-year-old daughter died. She had a rare disability and she had the brain of a 2- or a 3-year-old. And last December, his wife died. They've got seven children. In October, he lost this girl. Now, if Christ was not a support, there was nothing else for us to turn to. That's why we need to have a right perspective on struggles. We need to have a right perspective on trials. And this is Peter's emphasis. Now, Peter was not away from trials. We know that. We, all we need to do is read the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Peter was a man who went through trials. Peter was beaten up. He was imprisoned. And he rejoiced. You see, in Acts chapter 5, it says that he rejoiced. He went back and said, God, we thank you that you counted me worthy. For what? For persecution. Now, that... It's a biblical perspective on suffering. It's only one who has gone through the fire who would be able to help someone else. Paul was under struggle and therefore writing to the Corinthians, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said that with the same comfort that I have been comforted, I now am able to comfort someone. What is our perspective on dealing with things here on earth? Or are we just looking for the, the salvation of our soul? Or are we also expecting sanctification through trials? It's a contradiction. Joy and suffering, these are contradictory terms. You don't expect that. In the world, you have answers for only one. You really don't have answers for both. How does a husband smile in spite of his 
wife's death. He smiles. If he's a Christian, he would smile. And there are biblical reasons for that. The major theme of this, if, if we get a hold of this one chapter, brethren, if we can get a hold of chapter 1 and, and a little bit of chapter 2, our theology will be so much more deepened. In the first few verses itself, there's, there's an understanding, there's a reason for rejoicing. I just want to give you four principles Timeless principles of handling struggles and trials and rejoicing in the midst of trials. Now this presentation contains only the headings. Therefore, I would want your attention on what I say and not what's displayed. Right? So there will only be the broad headings over there which would help you to get a grip on the principle. Principle number one is that the Christian rejoices because of the sure foundation. Of the theological truths. What gives a Christian joy in his heart in spite of struggles? Number one, because of the sure theological foundations. And that is found in the first phrase we read over here. In this you greatly rejoice. Immediately as students of the Bible, you are clever people, you would ask, in what? There's a Pajero 44185B blocking this car, causing someone not to rejoice. So, would you increase his joy by please removing the car? Pajero 44185B. Alright, and he shall receive his joy in Jesus' name. The Christian receives his joy because of the sure theological foundations. In this you greatly rejoice. The basis, number one, number one, the basis of my joy is not in my circumstances. Anyone who struggles needs to understand this. The basis of my joy, that is known as happiness. Because you give a child a chocolate, the child is happy. You say no chocolate, the child is sad. His happiness is based on his circumstances. We are talking about something deeper. We are talking about something really biblical. We are talking about joy. The fruit of the Holy Ghost is joy, not happiness. Because happiness is based on circumstances. Here, the joy of a Christian is based on his rich theological truths. Come back with me to verse 3 to 5. Let's look at the solid truths upon which you and I can, can anchor ourselves in times of trial. Number one, let's, let's just read verse two. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. These people have been elected and you and I have been elected, elected, handpicked, even as the disciples of Jesus Christ, elected according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, what does that phrase do to you? When you are going through struggles. It means that God has foreordained the end from the beginning. That means that when you and I go through trials, go through struggles, it is not without the knowledge of God. 
God is all-knowing. Psalm 139 is all you need to do to read. You would find that it says that, where can I hide from your spirit? Wherever I go, you are there with me. Therefore, in our struggles, one of the key words is, is in Romans 8. And it says that, and all things work together. Is that true now? It's not all things work together. God makes all things to work together. Things don't work together. How does Sandy work, Hurricane Sandy, how does it work to increase your worship of God if you were in New York? How does it work? But God uses that to bring glory unto his own name. It's a difficult question for a person when he is challenged with this, with this question from, from people that is everything in my life the will of God? Has someone asked you that question? Have you asked yourself that question? Is everything in my life the will of God? The short answer to that is yes and no. Yes, because God is sovereign. He knows everything that is happening in your life. No, because he, did, he does not willfully want you to go through pain. But he has to, as every father does. So that the child will be disciplined. You can read Hebrews 7 on that. Hebrews 12. The point is, when my father knows everything, that's a very solid biblical foundation. Two, I am elect according to the foreknowledge of God, having a destiny in God. Whatever we go through, it's because I have a destiny in God. Three, I am a work in progress that you find from verse two. It says that in sanctification of the spirit, we are being sanctified. We are being molded. We are being changed every day. The Lord is using his chisel to chisel out that which weighs us down. The sanctification of the spirit. Number four, I am separated unto good works, unto obedience, verse two. We are still in verse two. Unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood. Number five, no matter what, I have an inheritance. Look at verse three onwards. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. That means no matter what I go through. I have an inheritance that is untouched by human hands. Asis Paul Jr. was asked. How can we pray for you? In the time of your bereavement. He said that pray that I will I will be able to maintain my sanity. He was saying that and the idiot part of me wants my wife and my daughter back. But the sane part of me knows that they are rejoicing in the presence of Jesus in heaven. 
That's a theologically sound reasoning in time of trial. He was saying that I would love to have my wife and my daughter back. The idiot in me wants them back over here. But the saying, he knows that my wife and my daughter are dancing in heaven. Rejoicing in the presence of Jesus. An inheritance untouched by human hands that cannot fade away. That cannot be lost, stolen or destroyed. That is reserved. That's your theological foundation. I am kept by the power of God. Verse 5 should be something that you need to anchor yourself in while going through trials. It means that I am kept by the power of God. I don't need to struggle to keep myself afloat. It is kept by the power of God. Deuteronomy 33 verse 27 says that underneath are everlasting arms. When I go through the valley in the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are kept by the power of God. These are the sure theological foundations upon which a Christian joy is built. Number two, the Christian rejoices in his trials because God is using this as a fiery furnace to solidify my faith. God is using the trials that I am facing right now to solidify my faith. What is tried can be trusted. What is tested cannot be trusted. What is not tested cannot be trusted. Even though for a while Look at, the, look at the phrases he begins to use now. In verse, let's turn to verse 6. The second part of verse 6 says that, Now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. In this one phrase, he gives you three quick truths. Three quick truths about trials. What are those quick truths? Trials do not last forever. For a little while, it says there. But you might say that what about a child who is born spastic and who dies? Life is short compared to eternity. Even though your whole life may be gone struggling with a particular disease, the truth over here from the mouth of God is that it is for a little while. All our troubles is for a little while. Second Corinthians 4, Paul echoes the same thought and he says that what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. He says that writing that to the Romans in chapter 8 and verse 18, he says that this momentary affliction is working for me a far exceeding weight of glory. This, are, are, you, are you getting something on how to handle trials? Are you benefiting out of God's word right now? On how to handle difficulties? On how to handle probably the loss? Or 
or maybe the loss of a job, the loss of, loss of a loved one, on a tragedy. How do you handle that? It is momentary. Number two, the second truth Peter brings here is that if necessary. Now, the original translation is not if, it is because it is necessary. All the translation says if, but the original Greek is since or because it is necessary. The question is, then who has necessitated it? Who ordered these trials? The answer is God. Because it is not Satan who decides things for you. I thought you would say Amen. Let's try it from the other end. God decides things for you. Therefore, who necessitated the, the testing? When a child goes for exam, who necessitates his, his test paper? Is it he? It would be nice for the child to frame his own question paper. But does that work out? Now, does that benefit the child? He would check out all the easy questions and he says, yes, I've done well. But if, but if the master checks it out, if the master puts the hardest question and the child comes out triumphant, the child would be invited in front of the whole class and there would be a commendation. It is necessary that our faith be put to test. Why does God require trials? The third truth over there, we'd come to that. But the third truth over there is that we have been grieved by various trials. The word used various over there is originally from the word like one that is the spots on a leopard. No two spots are the same. They might look the same, but no two spots are the same. And the trials are different for different people. Somewhere in the book of Isaiah, I think it's 25 or 26, it says that he does not use the same way to thresh wheat and to thresh grains. It's a different measure he uses for different people. God had necessitated this. Peter is affirming the sovereignty of God. We need trials. What are the reasons for these trials? Have you asked yourself? Why do these trials come in? Let's just find out from here. Why do these trials come, keep coming in? Number one, trials come to humble us. It keeps us humble. You know why? Because then we will know how big we really are. Then we'd know how strong we really are. And after all that, we would know, well, I was not all that strong. If your strength fails you in the day of adversity, your strength is small, says the Bible. It is only when I go through a trial that I would understand what I am capable of and what is beyond me. That is when I lift up my hands and echo with Jeremiah in 32:17. he says that, O thou, O Lord God, you, made, you stretched out the heavens and the earth with your outstretched arms. Nothing is impossible unto thee. But until we get our faith tried out, we are puffed up with pride, 
saying that we can do all things. Now the agnost asks the question, does God take pleasure in keeping us humble? The, the skeptic, even the atheist in our midst would ask us this theological question. He says that, are you saying that trials are given by God so that we would be humble? That means that God takes pleasure in humbling. Is he a tyrant? I'll tell you what, if he doesn't give you trials, we would crash and burn. We would live for our own pleasure. We would be self-centered. We would look only within ourselves for our own strength. And sooner or later, things that give pleasure to us from this world will overcome us. And we will crash and burn. We will lose our eternal destiny. Now you tell me, is God good or bad? A father who denies his child certain gifts, knowing that that could destroy is the father good or bad? Let's have a perspective on God, please. Let's have an argument on, on, on solid theological foundations. God is not a tyrant. He does this for, so that our joy may increase. Why did God say that you shall have only one wife? Why was his commandment so? Because we know the consequences of having multiple relationships. If the road sign over here from here to, here to Salada says 120, is ROP restricting your happiness if you have a Ferrari? If, if the ROP says belt is required... Is it to restrict your freedom? In India, the, there was a law which says that you need to wear a helmet to protect your head. And whatever is within. And however good it may be at work. Now, was that a good thing or a bad thing? There was so many protests saying that we don't want to do that because it, it affects with our Style. But think about it. Is that, is your head important or your style? You would have a style if you had a head. God wants us to enjoy this life and the next. Therefore, he wants our faith to be solid and tested. Because what is not tested cannot be trusted. He says that what man among you, if he goes for war, among you, what man among you, if he goes for war, finds that he's got only 10,000, and he finds that the other king has got a 20,000, will not first sit down and think about it, and then go for terms of peace? In fact, Jesus was asking about himself, don't you think that I will first weigh the consequences of having you as my disciple? And once you've come in, would I not now nurture you in my school of discipleship? A Christian's joy is found in humbling himself. Number two, trials build our endurance. Every vehicle that is manufactured goes through 
a crash test zone. Every vehicle, everything that is manufactured goes through trials. The endurance has to be strengthened. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. And I read, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and so on and so forth. Number three, trials have the effect of perfecting us. That's the original Greek word used in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Could we turn over there? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And Peter says, after having, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you have suffered a while, God would do this. Number four, trials help to root out sin. Because we are under the refinement process. The Bible over here says that it is like gold which perishes. And even that which perishes has been put through fire so that the infirmities can be removed from gold. The value of gold has just gone up a notch because it went through fire. The longer the gold resists the fire, the more it would remain impure. And the more the gold is put through fire, it becomes much more valuable. Trials help to root out sin. Trials are fertile ground for developing the fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever tried praying for patience? What happens when you begin praying for patience? Do you think the heavens would open and a package of patience would drop into your head? The Lord will give you a horrible boss or a tyrant wife. It is better to live on the rooftop in a cardboard box than in a house who, with a wife who nags. The moment you begin asking for joy, what do you think the Lord would give? We were coming back from, uh, 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 we were driving down this road. When a man was in his car, he was waiting to join the lane. And he flashes his light, he puts his indicator, he was in a big hurry because he got a big car. He's got a Lexus. And you know people with Lexus don't wait for anyone. He had all these lights on and we were coming at about 120 and this man wanted to get in. And it was impossible for me to stop at that speed and say, sir, please, the road is yours. Couldn't do that. I just passed him. He didn't like it. He came behind me, flashed the lights. He almost crashed into me. And that's the time I was preparing 
Lord, give me joy. What do you do? Trials. That's, that's just a dot of a trial. That's not even a trial. But I tell you, when you ask the Lord to refine you, He gives you trials. Such that it roots out all the sin and it plants in the fruit of the Spirit. You begin asking for patience. That's the moment you become really impatient with your kids. You want to whip them up. You ask for self-control. That's the time when someone, when you're fasting, gives you, throws a pizza party in office. And you say, God self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. But the point is, jokes apart, let's, let's think about this. Let's have a, a, a good understanding. Why does God do this? Have you asked yourself questions? Why does God do this? And finally, trials are ordained by God so that we are able to help others. You already touched that point. Unless we go through the fire, we have absolutely no reason to help someone. You cannot walk up to a brother and say, Brother, I know what you're going through. Absolutely not. You don't know. Three, the Christian joy and he rejoices for there's a sure reward at the end of his trial. I thought you would say amen. There's a sure reward. We were saying about Ephesians 3.20 which says that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. Don't you think that the, that the Lord would give a great gift befitting the trial. The greater the trial, the greater God's gifts. Matthew 25, 21 to 23. There was a story that Jesus says, and he says that there was a man who was going into a far place. And then he called his disciples, he called his uh, servants, and, excuse me, called his servants and he said he gave some ten, gave some five, gave some one. And then he said, you need to multiply this when I come back. When he came back, some gave him ten for ten, some five for five. And one poor fellow said that, I couldn't do anything with this. For the two that returned back, now listen, for the two that returned back, Listen to what the Lord Jesus says. Verse 21 says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Come back to verse 7 of 1 Peter. I want to show you something over there. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. It says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to what? Number one, two. Number two. Number two is honor. Number three. Come back to Matthew 25, 21. What's the praise? Well done, good and faithful servant. What's the honor? I will set you over much. And what's the glory? Enjoy. Enter into the joy of your master. See that? That's from the Bible. 
Well done, good and faithful, is praise. You shall have more authority when you come into, the end, into your own kingdom. That's honor. And glory is enter into the rest of your master. Enter into the place that I have prepared for you. Was that not what Jesus said? That when I go, I shall prepare a place for you. So that where I am, there you might be as well. And number four, the Christian finds joy in the salvation obtained as a result of his love, faith, and constant fellowship with Jesus Christ. This is the most important. According to me, I would find this the most important. Let's read 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the most important thing because true Christianity is in loving God. If you've, if you've noticed what our... Uh, our brother was leading us in our intercession. He, he used two of those words. He said, you need to delight yourself in the Lord. Many of us have lost our first joy because we ceased delighting in the Lord. If you can look back your 5, 10, 15, 20 years of conversion experience, your first week of being born again, there was no door that you would not knock down and go and tell about the love of Jesus in your heart. Because Jesus was your all-consuming passion. Jesus was your all-consuming desire. He was, he was bigger than everything. You would forsake food. You would forsake things and run for Jesus. That's what the psalmist says. He says, delight in the Lord. What does it mean to delight in the Lord, brethren? Have we got a perspective of Jesus... This means, now listen to me, this means that Jesus is infinitely more superior to any of my trials. That's what this means. This means that Jesus is infinitely more worth than this trial that I'm going through. This means that Jesus is more precious to me. At the end of all these struggles, when a person comes to the Lord, he says that, I still love you, Lord. That's what Peter is saying over here. You've not seen him, but still you love him. You've not seen him, but still you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy inexpressible. What is it that helps you to wake up every morning and go to the Bible? It is this joy. What is it that helps you to... to to wake up and not snooze your alarm, to wake up and to go and say, let me delight myself in the Lord. What helps you? George Mueller says that the first thing I do when I wake up is that I make my soul happy. Not drink coffee. I'm not against it. But what is your consuming passion? Is Christ infinitely more worth unto you? Before we conclude, let me just tell you what's Paul's idea. There was this abbot. There was this abbot 
uh, who is equivalent to a, a monk. A monk. And he used to have constant vows of silence and of fastings. And there was this question that was asked to the monk and said that if at the end of your journey, after all these years of silence, after all these years of, of fasting and doing your rituals, if you found God is not real, what would be your reaction? The man said that it would have been worth fasting, it would have been worth the silence. Now it sounds very nice. But if you ask Apostle Paul the same question, Paul would say, if in this life alone I have hope, then I am of all men most miserable. If all my fastings was for this life alone. We need to become people who really enjoy God. Not if... If we have a different perspective, and I'm, I suspect there are many in our midst who have this perspective, that Christ is a joyful addition to my ordinary life. You know what that does to us? That it, it relegates Christ to, say, number, number 10, or maybe one in our list of things. But are we consumed? How long have you and I to live? And in this life alone, if our hope is fixed to this life alone, we are of all men most miserable. What gives you joy, brethren? Peter over here says that what should give you joy is the constant fellowship, the present fellowship and the hope of that fellowship which you would have in heaven. That should spur you up to face your trials. That should encourage you. That should put the fuel in your fire. Christ is infinitely more worth. I don't care if I lose a limb or my hand or my head. Christ is infinitely more worth. Because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He walks with us through our trials. He walks with us in our struggles. But during that walk, during that walk, do we enjoy that walk? Somebody was saying that Enoch walked with God and they walked and they walked and they walked. And one fine day they saw that Enoch was very far away from his own home. And God said, my house is closer than yours. Let's go home. Would you want that walk? David Livingston was found kneeling at his bed. And he had died. And they cut out his heart and they buried it in Africa saying, this man's heart was for Africa. What gives you passion to pray for missions? What gives you the heart to declare Christ as supremely worth? Is he worth anything in your life and mine? That I can go through this pain. Whatever it be, Christ is infinitely more worth. These momentary afflictions work for me a far exceeding weight of glory. Have you comprehended that verse? 
this momentary affliction is working for me. Each word is loaded. It is working for me a far exceeding weight of glory. We need to love Jesus, meaning that Jesus is precious over all things. We need to believe Jesus, knowing that trusting in Him is above all things. And we need to rejoice in Christ, which is having sweet fellowship. God is calling us to live a life in fellowship with Him, brethren. I am exhorting you from here today and asking you, would you take a good look at your own life and say, I did not waste my life. Because Christ is infinitely more worth than all this. Before I close, I want to speak to them that do not know Jesus. Because for us Christians, if you are here, listen to me. For us Christians, this weight will help us by turning to joy in the end. But for you, my brother, if you are here. Your joy now will soon fade away. And the Bible says that there is judgment. Spurgeon says, I beseech you, look at this matter. Search and see whether all is right with your spirit. Would you feel a need for this Savior today? Would you bow your heads with me? If this, if Christ is not your all-consuming passion, would you rise on your feet and we could pray together? If you want Christ to become your all-consuming passion, Father, that you would be my passion. Jesus, that you would be the center of my life. I want you to rise up, acknowledge yourself to the Lord, and we could pray right now and, and say, God, that I need this passion, this passion that burned in the church fathers, this passion that burns in the missionaries who forsake everything and they go into the mission fields and they go into areas that they know that they might never come back. There was a man who said that, and if you have this passion, there is no door, I guarantee, that will not open for you, for you to go in, but I cannot guarantee that you would come out. Brethren, if you want this passion to burn within you, and therefore have great joy in the midst of grievous trials. Would you begin talking to God and say, Father, that you would burn in me a passion for you. Burn in me a passion for you. Lord, let my joy be founded on the theological truths of your word. Lord, let my joy be found when you shape my faith to be of infinitely more worth. God, that you would shape me, O Lord Father. That I would get a joy when I receive that ultimate reward from your hands. Let me have this joy of constant fellowship with you. Of loving you, of believing in you, of treasuring you as the greatest treasure. As a man who sold everything that he had and, brought that, that, and bought that pearl of great price. God, help me to sell all that I have. Father, whatever it be. To gain that pearl of great price. Are you talking to God? Would you talk to Him and say, God, that you would burn in me. 
And for those of you brethren who do not know Jesus, I beseech you. I beseech you. Christ is infinitely more worthy than all your pursuits right now. Whatever is stopping you from pursuing Jesus, it will fade away. Whatever is stopping you from seeking Jesus and, and from loving Him with your whole heart, it is going to fade away. Paul said that I count everything as a loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. If you are here, would you talk to God? And would you pray a prayer of repentance? Even in fact ask the Lord God that you would give me a heart of repentance. The Bible says that repentance is from the Father. Repentance is from the Lord. And for them who want their joy doubled, would you talk to God and say, God, let me not look at my circumstances from now on. It is true that you are going through trials and trials are real. But when the burdens increase, His grace increases. When your labors increase, His, His love just increases. Through added afflictions, He added His mercy, says the songwriter. Through added afflictions, He added His mercy. Through multiplied grace, He gives multiplied peace. And out of His infinite riches in Christ Jesus, He giveth, He giveth, and giveth again. Father, we thank You for these precious children who have identified themselves. Who want their joy renewed in You. Father, I pray they will not be denied in Jesus' name. That even today, O Lord, a Rehoboth will be opened for them in Jesus' name. A new stream of living water will be opened unto them in Jesus' name. That seasons of refreshing would come upon them in Jesus' name. Father, the trials that they are going through are real. They are real and they cause grief, O Lord God. But I pray, Lord, if it be your will, you would lift it up in Jesus' name. Father, that, that the trials that is right now working in them, God, we know that it is working for an infinitely more exceeding weight of glory. That will be revealed unto them at the end of time. God, I pray none would miss this joy in your presence in Jesus' name. Father, how I pray, O Lord God, for them that are struggling right now to find joy. I pray, O God, you would reveal yourself in a new facet today in their lives in Jesus' name. God, that they would know, O Lord God, that, they, that their griefs are temporal. But in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Praise be unto you, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's be on our feet. Let's thank the Lord who has spoken to us. His word in First Peter chapter 2, 21 says, For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his step. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Mighty and everlasting Father, King of glory, Lord of love, Father, we thank you for all that you have done even this afternoon. Father, we bless your holy name for speaking to us. Father, we thank you for encouraging us. Father, we thank you, O Lord, for revealing to us your truth concerning your word. Blessed be your holy name, Lord Jesus. 
Mighty God, accept our thanks in Jesus' name. Father, as many as are going through challenges even this hour, we ask, O oh Lord, that which you have purpose for them, they will enter into it in the name of Jesus. Thank you for hearing us, Lord. We thank you for your servant that you have used. We ask, mighty God, that your hand will rest upon him for good in the name of Jesus. That you will increase him in wisdom, in knowledge, in understanding in the name of Jesus. Thank you for hearing us, Daddy. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Share the grace, with the grace of Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give you peace. Go in the peace of the Lord.